that wall of prayer. I want you to turn to the book of Zechariah tonight, if you will, please. The book of Zechariah. We were uh, in the book of Zechariah just a little bit on Sunday in our Sunday school class. And uh, so it's toward, the, it's toward the very end of your Old Testament. Uh, it's not a book that we're in very much. But let's look at Zechariah chapter number three tonight. I think this is going to be the last lesson in this series. I know that this is not a place that we really like to even stay a lot, but I think it's necessary, and the Lord hasn't, hasn't directed me away from this yet, and I, feel like, I felt like there was still some ground that we needed to, to cover before we, we left this. And I, I, I definitely think this is a, an area where we, we need to know what the Bible says and we need to know what we believe. And so, Zechariah chapter 3 in your Bibles, let's give you one last opportunity to stand and stretch your legs, get some blood going. And I'm, it's uh, 7.55 right now, so I'm going to try to really keep an eye on the clock tonight. And uh, we're going to try not to get you out of here late with our meeting but, uh, but I do, boy, I hope you'll hang in there with me because I've got some, the Lord has given me some content that I really want to share with you tonight, and I, I believe it's going to be a help to you. And so, Zechariah chapter 3, and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Look at this next line. And Satan, standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? You may be seated tonight. That's all we're going to read. I'm just using that as a jumping board to jump into the, the lesson tonight. And so let's go to the Lord and ask the Lord to, to bless our uh, discussion. And I hope this will be a, a help to you. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege to to be back at Calvary. Uh, Lord, as Brother Brandon's already prayed, we're thankful for uh, everything that's been done tonight. It's been beneficial. It's been helpful. And But Lord, now as we take a few moments before we close this service, at least to me, it feels like it has just flown by in a flash. But, but Lord, I, I pray that you'll bless now as we close the service with a few moments of teaching. Uh, Lord, and what we're teaching is what's so important. We're teaching the Word of God. That's what's so important about this time. And so I pray that you would captivate, Lord, our attention and our attention span. I pray, Lord, that you would arrest our spirit tonight. And I pray that all that's done would glorify Christ. Father, that you would teach us something that's going to help us and to be better Christians for you. And Lord, I pray that when we leave here tonight, we'll leave being able to say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. We love you, Lord. We ask you for your help. We pray that Jesus will be glorified through it all. We ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake we pray. And all God's people said, amen. How many of you are too cool tonight? You're too cool. Raise your hand. That's what I thought. Okay, Brother Rick, adjust that. Uh, what do you got? Alan, adjust that back there if you will. And the reason I say that is because, man, I want to make sure you are not distracted tonight. I don't want you to be distracted. And so look back at Zechariah chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, and he showed me Joshua. Well, who's this talking about? Joshua. Well, this Joshua that Zechariah is talking about is actually the high priest Joshua that came back to Jerusalem uh, following Israel's captivity. But this scripture has a what we call a double reference. And we've saw that several times in the last little bit. 
This is not only referring to Joshua, the high priest that comes back to Jerusalem after the captivity, but it's also referring to the nation of Israel is what it's talking about there. And we notice here that standing on the right hand, and if I might point this out to you, with one goal in mind is Satan. And his goal is that of resistance, resisting, resisting Joshua. Now, this is an interesting verse for a number of reasons. And I want you to look back, back at it with me again. And if you like to mark your Bible, this is a really good place to mark your Bible, underline highlight, uh, circle, whatever the case may be. But look back there, verse, verse number one again. The Bible says, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now watch closely. The Bible says, and, notice the word, next word, Satan. And so if you like to mark your Bibles up, just circle the word Satan there. And then I want you to read on a little further. And Satan, notice, standing at his right hand to, notice the next word, resist. Circle that word or underline that word. So we have two words underlined or, or circled. The first word is the word Satan, and the second word is the word resist. Now, we learned something really great here, especially if you're trying to really, uh, we, we love to, to really dig deep and study this out, and I was trying to do that, and, uh, and, I, and I came upon something that was pretty interesting. We notice here, we, and we know this, we know that our Old Testament is translated into English from Hebrew and Aramaic, and our New Testament is translated from Greek, Koine Greek. And so I started looking up the Hebrew for the word Satan, the first word that you circled right there, Satan. And it's the Hebrew word Satan. Uh, and it's, it's spelled pretty much like uh, it's spelled in the English, S-A-T-A-N. Now, there's a lot of different uh, uh, things here that point out that it's Hebrew. But, but, but again, I don't want to lose you here. It means this. It means the arch enemy of good. The arch enemy of good. So then I looked up the word resist. And I was surprised at what I found. The word resist is also translated Satan. So the word Satan is, tra is translated from the Hebrew word Satan or Satan. And the word resist is also translated from the, the Hebrew word Satan. The first one means the arch enemy of good. The last one means adversary to withstand. So they're both the same Hebrew word, but translated just a little differently. Interesting. The first Satan that we underline basically identifies who he is. And the last word, Satan, or resist, identifies what he does. He resists the plan of God. That's what the Bible's teaching us there. It's telling us who this is and what he does. Now, if you've been a part of this series for the last little bit, we learned this. Number one, we learned that Satan is a created angelic being. We learned, number two, that Satan is a corrupt angelic being. And then last of all, and this is where we want to camp out tonight, we learned that Satan is a created, corrupt angelic being who is consumed with your demise. He is consumed with your demise. He wants you to, he wants you to fall. He wants you to be, to be destroyed. And, and I paid tribute to this, but we never got an opportunity to get, get into this. But for all those Christians who take their spiritual life lightly, I want you to understand he does not. Satan does not. Now, all of us, when I say that, you know what I'm talking about. All of us work with people, go to school with people, have people in our family, 
And, and if you were to ask them, are you a Christian? They say, oh yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. And yet they never read their Bible. They never go to the house of God. They never darken the door of the house of the Lord. They're not involved in revival. They're not involved in youth, uh, youth activities or youth rallies. They're not, in, you know, they're, they're, you know what? They're Christian in name only. And they just sort of, you know, it's really no big deal about being a Christian. And I want to tell you something. If you're here tonight and you are genuinely born again, it may not be a big deal to you, but I got news for you. It's a mighty big deal to him. It is a very, very big deal to Satan. Now, I want to show you. I want to show you tonight. So take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number six. And I want to show you just how, how well-structured Satan's organization is. This is not, listen, he doesn't run his organization haphazardly. It is very well organized and it is very structured and it is structured with one goal in mind and that is to make sure God does not receive glory. And the best way he can do that is by destroying you. And taking you out of God's perfect will. And I want us to look tonight at Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verse number 11. Ephesians 6 verse 11. You find your place, say amen. amen. And once again, we're going to notice several important key words here tonight in the verses that we're about to read. Look at Ephesians 6 verse 11. The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So if you, again, if you're marking your Bibles tonight, I want you to underline circle a few words. Number one, I want you to circle the word wiles. We're going to go back there in just a moment. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, for we, what's the next word? Wrestle. I want you to circle that word, underline that word. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, here's the next word I want you to circle. It's the word wherefore. Wherefore, taking you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So several words that I want you to notice. First word is the word wiles. Put on therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. It's the Greek word and it's a compound Greek word. It's the word methodia. Methodia. Now, now again, I'm not trying to be, I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, scholarly because I don't think I can accomplish that, all right? And I'm not trying to be uh, overly deep tonight, but I do believe there's a lesson to be learned right here if we, if we get out of the shallow water and dig just a little bit. It's the Greek word methodia. It's a compound Greek word, and it means this. It means proximity or with, after, behind. Now, and I would take time to illustrate that out, but I won't. But, but again, keep this in mind, proximity. With, after, behind. The other part of the compound word means this. It means traveling over. And so the Bible says that we're to stand against the wiles of the devil, the, the proximity. He is with us. He is after us. He is behind us. And then it means traveling over. In other words, this is what the Bible's teaching us here, that the enemy goes out of his way to secure your fall. Brother, he is watching. 
He is in your proximity. He is watching where you are. He knows what, listen, he knows what turns you on. He knows what turns you off. He makes a study of your life. We know that's true because of the book of Job. Satan was very aware of what was going on in Job's life. And the reason is because he was in Job's proximity. He was with Job. He was after Job. He was before Job. He was, uh, he was traveling uh, over with Job. Now, again, the idea being this, that the enemy goes out of his way, out of his way to secure your fall. Now, I want to show you a good illustration of that. Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Acts chapter number 16. And again, I'm just, listen, uh, church, the point I'll, I'm trying to make tonight, and if I can get this point across, it'd be well worth your time to be here this evening. The point I'm trying to make is, this is no joke. You say, Pastor, why are we still after three different, I'm sorry, actually four, after four different studies on the doctrine of Satan, why are we still talking about this depressing subject? And the reason is because I want you to know, as a child of God, this is no joke to him. And he is after you. You say, I'm not a pastor. You don't have to be a pastor. You say, a pastor, I'm not a missionary. You don't have to be a missionary. If you're here tonight and you are born again, he, my friend, is in your proximity. You say, he don't know anything about me. I'm telling you, church, hang on. Hang on. We're going to get there, Lord willing. He goes out of his way. Now look, if you will, at Acts 16 and verse number 12. Interesting story. The Bible says this is about Paul and Silas. And, and boy, things are really going good. Paul and Silas, Acts 16, verse 12. The Bible says, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we, Paul and Silas, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out uh, of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God. She worshiped God, but she was not saved. Which worshiped God heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, in other words, she came to, she understood the gospel. She came to Christ. She got saved. And the Bible says in verse 15, and when she was baptized in her household, whole house got saved. Hallelujah. She besought us saying, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now look at verse 16. The Bible says, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. I'm gonna come back to that in just a little while. Possessed with a spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Look at verse 17. The Bible says the same, what did she do? The same followed us. Now don't forget what I told you, that that, that word wiles is the idea of proximity uh, after, with, traveling over. And so here's this, this young lady that is possessed with a devil and the Bible says that she is literally, she's literally following Paul and Silas and the missionary team that's there. She not only follows Paul and Silas, but look at this. The Bible says the same followed Paul and us and what else did she do? And cried saying, these men are the servants of the most high God which showing us the way of salvation. And look at verse 18. The Bible says, and this did she what? Many days. 
Now, again, my point being this, you know what? Satan was after them. And he was going out of his way. He was going out of his way to try to defeat this missionary trip and to hurt these missionaries and hurt the cause of Christ. And, uh, and, and so, again, I want you to understand. Uh, again, please understand something. Hey, young people, teenagers, understand something. Satan is not your friend. He is not your friend. He wants to take you out. Now, you say, preacher, take me out. What do you mean take me out? He wants to, number one, ruin your testimony. He wants to take you out of the will of God. And if he has his way, he'll take you out of this world. And he'll damn your soul to an everlasting hell. And so it's important that we understand his method, his wiles. And so we see that word wiles. But then look at this next word. The next word is the word wrestle. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. For we wrestle, wrestle. Notice the word, for we wrestle. So this is not, this is not you know, just some kind of little game. It means to wrestle. Look up that definition. And it means this, a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided, listen to this, and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. Now, when I begin to think about that, uh, that definition, I, my mind went back. I'm sort of ashamed to tell you this, but, uh, but years ago, I used to love UFC fighting. And I find, I mean, I watched it a lot until I finally got so convicted seeing two guys literally beat each other to a pulp. Brother, UFC is not WWF, I'm telling you that, all right? And I mean, it's real, it's real. And, and I finally got so convicted about that that I quit watching it. But one of the guys I used to love was a guy by the name of Hoist Gracie. And, and Hoist Gracie was famous uh, he was well-known for jiu-jitsu, uh, but he was famous for his chokehold. And if you ever let him get around you and get that chokehold, I mean, every time, if he was able to get that chokehold on his opponent, you had to tap out. You had to tap out. And if you didn't tap out, listen, <laughs> you were going to go unconscious. And, and quite a few did. Uh, now, uh, and I thought about that. That's exactly what the Bible's talking about when it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against this, these fallen angels. Now, who are these fallen angels, this well-organized, well-structured machine that we fight against? Who are these beings who seek to get us in a chokehold and, and take us out of the will of God? I can tell you who they are not. They are not little chubby cherubs that fly on little fluffy white clouds that look like little fat babies. Now, the reason I even say that is because Hollywood's got us duped. And this new modern age has got us believing that's Satan. Satan's this little short guy that's got a red suit and a pointed tail and a pitchfork in his hand. And, uh, and then he's got all these little angels, you know, that are like little cherubs floating on a cloud. 
And I'm just, I came here tonight to tell you something that that is absolutely not who we are wrestling against. Will you say, preacher, who? Who are we wrestling against? All right, how about this? Number one, we're wrestling against what the Bible calls principalities. Now look back if you will. Ephesians chapter six, verse number 12. Look there with me if you will. Ephesians six, verse 12. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. It's the Greek word archi, ark, archi. So we get the idea of archangels from this word. It means chief or prince. You don't have to turn that. I'm just going to read this verse for you. But Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. The Bible tells us in Jude chapter one, verse number nine, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil. So we know that there's such a thing as an archangel. The Bible's very clear about that. It tells us that there's such a thing as an archangel. The word arch or archie, it means this. It means the first person or thing in a series. It means the leader. So we believe this. We believe that, that the archangels, the archangels in some way are the leaders of the angelic realm. Now, please understand something. All angels are powerful. All angels are powerful. But it seems like archangels seem to be chief among the angelic realm outside of the, what we learned the other night, cherubim and seraphim. I believe they're in a class all by themselves. Now, take your Bibles and turn over to Daniel chapter 10. We're talking about principalities. What is this principality? What, what, what is that? Well, look at Daniel chapter 10. And verse number 13, we read, we read an interesting story. The Bible says that God answers Daniel's prayer and, and sends an answer to Daniel by way of an angel. But the, but the angel that comes with Daniel's prayer request is blocked by demonic forces. Look what happens. Verse, uh, verse number 13, Daniel 10, 10, verse 13. The Bible says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's a, that's a devil, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, talking about the angel, withstood me one in 20 days. In other words, for 21 days, there's a spiritual battle that's going on. God has sent this answer to prayer with an angel to go to Daniel. And for 21 days, this angel is held up and not able to get that answer to prayer there. And so look what happens. But lo, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. And by the way, after you read that, business picks up. And Daniel gets his answer to prayer. And so, uh, so Michael is seen as a more powerful foe. And he's able to overcome these less powerful angels. And so again, I want you to understand something. That you are wrestling against principalities. Not only principalities, but look at this next one. You're wrestling against something called powers. Now don't turn back to Ephesians 6 yet. I want you to stay right where you are because I want to show you something. I'm just going to read Ephesians 6, 12 for you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, powers. It's the Greek word exousia, and it means magistrate or delegated influence. And this is the one I want to focus on. It means jurisdiction. So we're wrestling against principalities. That's archangels. That's the angels that seem to be the chief prince. And then we're fighting, we're wrestling against powers. 
We're fighting against those that, that have the, the idea, those that are, are magistrates or those that have jurisdiction. Now you say, preacher, what in the world? What does that mean? And this is what I believe the Bible's teaching us, that there are certain fallen angels that have jurisdiction over certain areas. In other words, I believe there are some angels that have jurisdiction over countries. There are some angels that have jurisdiction over America. We have missionaries in Africa. There are certain angels that have jurisdiction over Africa, the Philippines, China, Japan. But it goes, it goes further than that. I believe there are some angels that have jurisdiction over cities. And then there are some who have jurisdiction over churches. You understand tonight, Calvary, if we're understanding this right, and I believe we are, that means that Satan has put certain angels over the Calvary Baptist Church of Union Grove. They have jurisdiction here. Other angels maybe don't come because those angels, those powers, have jurisdiction over, over different churches, but it goes a little further than that. There are angels, no doubt, that have jurisdiction over certain families. And there are angels that have jurisdiction over certain homes. Again, the idea of jurisdiction. Now you say, Pastor, you're making that stuff up. I don't think so. Or if you're still in Daniel 10, I want you to look at verse 11. The Bible says, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he, the angel, then said he unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. You know what that tells us? That there was a demon, there was a devil that has jurisdiction over the kingdom of Persia. By the way, this is just not on the dark side, this is on the, the light side. If you read your Bible, you know what you find out? It, it, evidently, it seems that Michael, the archangel, was given this special task of protecting Israel. You'll find that in Daniel chapter, you're in Daniel 10, you might as well turn over there. Daniel chapter 12, and look at verse number one. Daniel chapter number 12, and verse number one. The Bible says, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, there's that principality, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And so Michael is, is over the nation of Israel. He is an angel that's, the, that's a protector for the nation of Israel. And we see Michael fulfilling that responsibility later on in the end times. So again, it's the idea of jurisdiction, jurisdiction. And so many other things I could say here, and, I, and we don't have time. But again, think about that, jurisdiction. You, you don't have to turn there. Just if you're taking notes, mark down, mark chapter five. And in Mark chapter five, how many remember the story where Jesus comes to the country of the Gadarenes? And he comes in contact with the, what we call the demoniac. Y'all remember that? And the Bible says that Jesus asked him, what is his name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And they know what's about to happen. 
They know that the Son of God is about to cast them out. And you know what they said in Mark chapter 5 and verse number, verse number 10? This is what they said. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. This is our proximity. This is where we have jurisdiction. Lord, don't send us. You've got the power to do it. But don't send us out of this proximity. This is where we reign. This is our jurisdiction. And so we fight against principalities. We fight against powers quickly tonight. How about this number next? We fight against, we wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this world. The rulers of the darkness of this world. Again, I'm I'm in Ephesians 6, verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It means this. It means a world ruler in charge of darkness or blindness. In other words, these angels are demons that are in charge of keeping people in spiritual darkness. You ever wondered about this? How is it that these false churches seem to be flourishing? I'm talking about churches that don't even preach the gospel. I'm talking about churches that don't preach doctrine. And yet they've got the biggest campuses. They've got the biggest crowds. They seem to have all the talented people. And sometimes we look at that and we think, wow. How can a church like that that's not even preaching Jesus, not even preaching the gospel, how can a church be be so blessed? It may not be blessed. Or it may be blessed, but not blessed by the Lord. Because there are certain angels that are in charge of keeping people in spiritual darkness and spiritual blindness. They're over false churches and false religions. That's why some of the cults are so powerful. That's why right now in the prison system, uh, Islam... Islam is becoming one of the main factors that the gospel is fighting against, gospel preachers are fighting against. You say, preacher, how is that? I'll tell you how. Because there are angels in Satan's kingdom and their job is to make sure that they keep this world in spiritual darkness. You say, preacher, you got any evidence to back that up? I think I do. I want you to turn back to Acts 16 again. And man, oh man, I studied this out this week and I was like, wow. Now, Acts 16, we were reading just a moment ago about Lydia, Paul and Silas, you know, proclaim the gospel to Lydia. Lydia comes to the Lord. She gets baptized. Her whole household gets saved. She, you know, they come to the Lord. Look at verse number 16, though. We know that Satan is in that proximity Verse 16, the Bible says, and it came to pass, Paul, uh, it says, as, as it came to pass, as we went to prayer, look at this, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit, pneuma, that's that Greek word, pneuma, uh, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Look, look at that word divination. You know what it means, church? It's the Greek word Python. Now, when I read that, I thought, I don't want any part of this. One thing we don't do at Calvary is snakes. <laughs> and how many know this, that a python is not a black snake? <laughs> Those suckers get big. 
It, it, it's, uh, the, again, get this now because it's interesting. It means python or the spirit of python. It means dragon. We heard about that word a lot in this, in this study. It means dragon or snake, and it's a large one. Now listen to this. In Greek mythology, python, who this demon was named after, was a snake that was said to have guarded the inner sanctuary at Delphi or central Greece. And the priestesses who served there were not referred to as priestesses, but they were referred to as pythoness. Pythoness. Now, I think we learned something here, and this is what we learned, that there was a devil, this was a devil that was responsible for, for keeping central Greece in spiritual blindness. And that's exactly what was going on. And so all of a sudden, when Paul and Silas break through the spiritual iron curtain, and here they start preaching the gospel, and Lydia gets saved, and Timothy gets called to the ministry, and the Philippian jailer gets born again, and I mean, things are happening. I'm telling you, they are stirring it up. And by the way, no wonder they ended up in jail after that. Because there were devils that were responsible for keeping certain places in spiritual darkness. Well, I could take a little time, but I won't. I could take a little time how God does that on both sides. Not only are there angels that keep people from seeing the light, but God uses angels to help people see the light. And, but we'll go there another time. And so we see principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Last of all tonight, look at this. We see spiritual wickedness in high places. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now hear me out, and we're almost done. This word wickedness here, spiritual wickedness in high places, is the Greek word poneria. Poneria. And it means this, it means absolute depravity. And if I can give you this extra little definition that goes with this meaning, it means absolute depravity, specially or concretely. This is a word that means not just evil, but hurtful evil. It means this, it is an evil that is so depraved, it is so depraved, it is so bad that it's not gonna be very easy to bounce back from it. Have you ever wondered about this? Have you ever wondered why so many, so many people are in the grips of bitterness? You know people like that. No joy, no smile, no rejoicing, no praising. You can't even talk to them about church or they'll shut you down or cuss you out. And they are so bitter. They're so bitter. And you'll say, preacher, it's almost like, it's almost like they're in a straitjacket of bitterness. And I mean, it's like, it's like they're bound. You say, what, what, what is that? That is spiritual wickedness in high places. You ever met somebody that was just totally consumed with lust? Or somebody that's consumed with anger? or homosexuality, or adultery, or hatred. Now, what I'm saying tonight is this. There are certain angels, spiritual wickedness, there are certain angels 
And that's their area of expertise. So if you're here tonight and you say, well, you know, preacher, I, I'm, the reason I'm bitter is because I'm, that's, just, that's just the way I am. No, I'm telling you, you have someone that's encouraging that. You may not be possessed with the devil, but listen to me, good friend. You are being oppressed by a devil. And that devil is doing everything he can to encourage you. Stay bitter. It's right. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve that kind of treatment. Nobody else is going through this. If God was so good, it wouldn't be happening. You see where I'm going? And boy, that demonic spirit oppresses you and, and tries to keep you in the chains of, of that depraved, that depraved wickedness. Well, let's bring this thing to a close. The last word I want you to mention is the word, uh, is the word wherefore. Let me read Ephesians 6 for you again. We're done. Ephesians 6, 11, put on, the, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, wherefore, in other words, knowing all this, since you know all this, since I've just given you all this, he said, let me tell you what you better do. You better put on the whole armor of God because this is not fairy tale this is real the whole this don't, don't forget now this is inspired by the Holy Ghost and so this is the Holy Ghost saying this Satan is in your proximity right now you say pastor Satan don't even know I exist listen to me church he is after you he is with you and he is willing to travel over to try to make you fall. I found, you can close your Bibles, we're done. One commentator said this about, uh, about this stuff that we're talking about tonight. He said, when speaking about the word wrestle, a term used of hand-to-hand -hand combat, wrestling features trickery and deception. Now keep that in mind. Wrestling features trickery and deception. Like Satan and his hosts when they attack, coping with deceptive temptation requires truth and righteousness, which is why we're teaching what we're teaching here on Wednesday night. So I, I was thinking about that thing of trickery and deception. You know what he's saying there? Satan doesn't play fair. Listen to this. In 1896... Norman Kidd McCoy was the welterweight boxing champion. In one of his fights, he learned that his opponent was deaf. And so McCoy, finally discovering this, as they were nearing the end of the third round, McCoy stepped back and pointed to his opponent's corner, indicating that the bell had rung. When his opponent, who couldn't hear it by the way, when his opponent turned his head, McCoy unloaded a powerful blow and knocked him out. It wasn't fair, but it was effective. Hey, teenager, I'll tell you something. Satan doesn't play fair. And he'll lie to you 
and deceive you. And before you know it, he's knocked you out. Listen to this and we're done. How many history buffs are got here tonight? We got some. We got some. In late September 1864, Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest was leading his troops north from Decatur, Alabama toward Nashville. But to make it to Nashville, Forrest would have to defeat the Union Army in Athens, Alabama. When the Union commander, Colonel Wallace Campbell, refused to surrender, General Forrest asked for a personal meeting and took Campbell on an inspection of his troops. But each time they left a detachment, the Confederate soldiers simply packed up and moved to another position, artillery and all. Forrest and Campbell would then arrive at the new encampment and continue to tally up the impressive number of Confederate soldiers and weaponry, which they just saw at the last meeting. And so after that meeting, they had moved to the next one. What it's saying in this the church is this. He was seeing the same soldiers every single time. By the time they returned to the fort, Union Commander Campbell was convinced he could not win and surrendered unconditionally. You know what that's, that means? He was tricked. They didn't have all those Confederate soldiers, but it looked like they did. And because of that, he, he resigned. He gave up. Now, I just said that, say this, Satan works that way. And he'll trick you and defeat you. And before you know it, he's got you out of church. You're not reading your Bible. You're not serving in your ministry anymore. And so may we do this. May we make sure that we put on the whole armor of the Lord. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, this is no joke. Lord, Satan is a powerful foe. He's a powerful enemy. We're no match. We're no match for him. And Father, I pray that if we've learned nothing else in this four-week series, I pray that we've learned this, that we had better, by the grace of God, walk absolutely as close to the Lord as we can. We cannot fall. We cannot falter because he is in our proximity. Lord, we may not think so. And God, he may, he may be sneaking up. We may not see it. We may not feel his presence yet. But he is in our proximity. And because of that, we better stay plugged into God. We better stay faithful to church. We better stay in our Bibles and on our knees in prayer. Because we know that we have an adversary. Well, Lord... With that said, I'm glad there's something else we know. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord, I'm glad that our Bible tells us that we're not simply conquerors, but we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Father, I pray that you'll bless them this invitation tonight. It could be somebody may be here tonight that needs to get saved. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that needs to get right with the Lord. Maybe there's someone here tonight that's strayed or wandered away from the will of God and tonight they need to rededicate their life to Jesus. 
It could be there's somebody here tonight that's battling with bitterness or hatred or unforgiveness or anger. They didn't know I was going to be preaching on this tonight. But you knew. So, Lord, tonight, if they need to make a move toward this altar, I pray that they would do that. Help us to be tender. And we thank you and praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand with us all over the house? And, and while you're standing with our heads bowed, can I ask a question? Is there anybody here tonight? Sometimes I'll preach a whole service and, I, and there'll be somebody in the service. I didn't even know they were there, visitor. Is there anybody here tonight would say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not sure that I would make it to heaven. And I care enough to slip up my hand and let you pray for me. Is there one anywhere right now you'd be honest and you'd just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm not sure. But I'm sure of this. I don't want to spend eternity with that one you preached about tonight. I don't want to spend eternity with Satan. Is there anybody here tonight would say, Pastor, I'm not sure about salvation. Would you pray with me? Anybody? Anybody? I see that little hand. I see that little hand. And I'm glad the Lord's beginning to work in your life. Is there anybody else? I see that little hand too. Thank you. Great. Anybody else? So here's what we're going to do. While Brother Abel and Brother Michael play for a moment, if you're here tonight and there's a decision that you need to make, if you need to rededicate your life to Jesus or if you just need to pray tonight or if you're battling with, with something, a stronghold in your life, and tonight you say, Pastor, I want it gone. I want it gone. Why don't you just tiptoe down to this altar while we pause for a moment and just do business with the Lord. And so, Father, I pray you'd have your way in this invitation. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to every heart, including mine. And, Lord, help us to leave this place right. Help us to leave this place right with God. God, have your way. Have your way. Lord, tonight. And we thank you in Jesus' name.